0: Small businesses have the opportunity to learn from professionals and from each other, and bringing those perspectives together is an important part of Inside the Vault. Enterprise Bank's new podcast series. Today, we want to stay on our theme from last week's episode of the COVID-19 pandemic and how it, it has affected the restaurant industry. In particular, we're going to sit down today with the owners of Dennett Keg Brewing Company and Mars PA, another bank customer that's heavily involved in the local craft beer industry and has a new brew pub that opened just prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. Sitting down with me today are Matt McCullough and Corey Gibbons, the owners of uh, Dennett Keg Brewing Company in Mars, PA, who have a little bit of an interesting perspective in that they weren't too far into their business venture when um, COVID-19 hit. So probably a good place to start, either Matt or Corey, is kind of just give us a quick history of how Denny Keg started and what Denny Keg is. Yeah, so. Um I think I could take this one, Corey.
1: Uh, We started uh, Den & Keg in 2016. It was really four guys around my kitchen table. We all were... Uh, having a few beverages and decided, hey, let's start making beer. Corey and I decided we wanted to take it a little further. I'm referred by Corey as the dreamer, and uh, Corey is my anchor point uh, in this in this business venture. So,
0: hey, every small business needs an accelerator and a brake pedal, and it's, it, <laughs> it, and we have but, it. But yeah,
1: uh, as you alluded to earlier, three months in, hey, let's shut the whole damn thing down. So you so, opened the actual brew pub and brewing operation in Mars And we when. Uh, october okay. of 2019. Yeah. so yeah. we october 1st mm-hmm. we opened the doors october november december things were rock and roll
0: i was up there we too. were
1: yeah. we had a great time i mean we had everybody in there yes new businesses do that but we you know one friday night we had the nfl tour bus in there i mean you know we just had that so much market,
2: and it didn't let up i mean it was the the opening was was just amazing, and and the response and the crowds and and really it didn't let up. I mean, we went through the end of the year, the holidays, and I was just amazed that it just kicked off and didn't stop.
0: So yeah. so when did this this crisis, the the health crisis, kind of really first come into your view from a business standpoint?
2: Well, I think. Um, the weekend before uh, we were shut down, uh, we were actually at Den Keg with, uh, uh, there was a large group of, of friends and family of Matt's and and we were kind of talking about it because things had started to, the travel started to stop and and it was kind of a, when's it going to get here? When's it going to come? And, and, you know, we, it was a Saturday and we were kind of talking about, you know, wonder what it's going to look like here. Um, and I think it was Monday uh, when the governor announced that he was going to lock everything down on wednesday and by monday at four o'clock uh, we were starting to get uh, some negative uh, feedback from the the general public shall we say and we just pulled the plug and it was four o'clock that monday the day before saint patrick's day yep
1: Pulled the plug that day, um, had a week's worth of inventory in the kitchen, ready to go for yeah. the week. Beer and kegs are definitely. Beer and kegs. I mean, everything is, you know, in, in this industry, everything's perishable, right? Yeah. Because you're yeah. not, and we do, we have a freezer yeah. and it's literally for French fries. That yeah. is it. Everything else is scratch made for for the most part, right. you know, so having that type of, lost just right out of the gate is like oh my god we we ended up sending all the food home that we could to our employees to say hey here, just take it because you
3: yeah. know at the end of
1: the day it's going to go in a dumpster
0: so
2: i think we uh, estimate it was about eight thousand dollars uh that we that we basically lost uh within a matter of an hour
0: i actually just read a, an article um from pennsylvania lodging and restaurant association that just in that latest shutdown in in mid-december mm-hmm. Yeah. but they—they they, that trade association approximated a million five in food that had to be thrown away,
1: right, in the state. Well, you're talking one of your biggest days of the year. Uh, of that, of that
2: shutdown, you know. So I mean, it's yeah. well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what was it? Monday afternoon, Thanksgiving week, we, we find out that five o'clock on Wednesday, uh, it's time to send everybody home. Um, so that was that was blow number two. Really, blow number three because if you remember back, we waited and waited and waited. Open to fifty percent three day three weeks go by. Allegheny County is out of control, so to speak. And uh, they shut down and then the governor gets on and says, yeah, 25%. You know, So again, we had to lay people off and, and deal with uh, the excess food that we had because we just didn't have the capacity. And then shut down three, we find out less than 48 hours, biggest night of the year, we're shutting down. And then a week later, uh, hey, shut it down on whatever it was, December 8th through probably one of the busiest times of the year for us. So
0: Let's get back to the beginning, though. You know, so you get shut down. We're all kind of in the dark. Business people, the general public's in the dark because we're not really sure what we're dealing with at that point. I mean, what, what kind of strategy did you guys come up with initially before we really had any real understanding of how long or how deep this was going to be?
2: You know, our plan was, OK, what do we stop? doing first? what do we? Who do we stop paying first? Because, you know, we're five months in and we're on a week to week, right? Business was successful, but, you know, those initial startup costs were still coming in. And, you know, we looked at it and said, well, uh, we're going to have to stop paying people. Who do we stop paying first? You know, is it vendors? Is it utilities? Is it rent? And how long do we have? Really, because you know we had to make payroll from the previous week, you know, so we 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 knew we had to pay the pay our folks, and then we just decided who are we going to stop paying? Uh, you know, we looked at what what access do we have? Can we tap four hundred one ks? Can we tap savings? And and you know, the funny part is, is that five months in, we already did that. You know, our houses were were our collateral, and so we didn't have the that equity to tap. Um, you know, our savings were tied up in it. And so we really were at a position where I estimated that we could go Two to three weeks, and then it was going to start to get real ugly, and that's where we started saying, "Well, you know, we won't pay rent because what's he going to do, kick us out? How do we, how do we su- survive with that? Right? We won't, we won't pay the utilities because what are they going to do, shut the, shut the electricity off? What's, uh, what's, you know, if we're not open, what do we, uh, what do we need the electricity for? So it was really crisis management, um, and and we had about twenty four hours to deal with that. Uh, And that was that was the hardest part. Um, So that that was really what we our approach towards it.
0: So um, you had a couple of strange, I'll call them strange things going on in the beer business in particular. You know, obviously, we all know alcohol is a great stress reliever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember early on in the pandemic, beer distributors, grocery stores that sold beer and wine, particularly when state stores were shut down. Or just overrun with demand. You guys run a unique circumstance that, even though you're got a heavy beer focus, it was really based on the brew pub, yeah. and most of your production was yep. draft.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. you had, I'm
0: assuming you had to you had to pivot. Yep. In terms of how you get beer out the door to meet the man and try and survive, right? Well, and that was exactly
1: it. It's the, the buzzword is nimble. I mean we were we were constantly changing what we were yeah. doing every couple days based off of the information at hand. We yeah. always did canning, but it's all canning that is done manually. We don't have yeah. a canning process. With that in mind, we did we bought more growlers to get ahead of it, then, then you hit the can shortage okay now we can't get cans thankfully we never ran out but we were scrambling to find where are we going to get all these cans just because there's a pandemic didn't stop people from drinking and we can definitely prove that (laughs) they were just doing it at home
0: And, and i do know from personal experience you guys also had some flexibility in that the way that your space was configured you could use some outdoor space
1: yeah so we 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 got a tent for outside opened up outside capacity to get around those those Mandates from the governor. Thankfully, we had the foresight uh, when we took the lease out and we got our license that we licensed that space from the from the PLCB, so we can actually pour out there and you can drink out there, and it's it, it's all legal. So um, that was a really good thing that we caught on right out of the gate, and again, yeah. win on
0: that. Now, were you able to avail yourselves of any of the financial resources, either federal, state, or county, local? to help?
1: Yeah, so we tapped into, uh, with the help of the bank and our uh, loan officer, uh, uh, Jay, he basically sent us all the information that we possibly could need to start that process on the funding side. You know, it, the PPP stuff, um, the, okay. EI, what was it? Uh, the EIDL. EIDL grant, yeah. yep, and then PPP round two, and as well as there was a Butler County uh, grant that we were able to qualify for as well
0: um, I'm interested in your take on ease of use for those programs I've heard good bad obviously we here at the bank dealt with PPP and tried to make that as easy yeah but some of these other programs I've heard good and bad
1: yeah I think it was uh, from the bank standpoint it, I, look everybody was going through the right. same time so everybody's learning at the same time so there was mm-hmm. no reason to get angry about any of it Um there was the PPP stuff, that was easy, EIDL was easy, but then the government changed the rules, you know. So it was that constant flipping back and forth of documentation and, oh, we're going to forgive that, we're going to forgive this, and then they don't. Yeah. And then they make a change. Okay, yeah. well, that was the frustrating part for us, I
0: think. It, yeah. It, did it do enough? to do enough for your industry, for your business.
2: Corey? You know, I think that the, uh, the federal government with the PPP, while it was problematic, uh, for, you know, as Matt mentioned, and, and really the changing rules and trying to align what the federal program was with what the state programs were and the rules and regulations controlled by the state, I think it was it was not as easy as it could have been but far easier than I would have expected, you know, coming from government entities uh, like that. Um, did it do enough? You know, it, it I think thus far, if I look back over the last, you know, we're, we're less than a month away from it being a year since this all started for us and for everyone. Um, I think in whole, it's done enough to bridge the gaps. But the problems are is that it's a, it's a start stop. It's an up, down, up, down battle. And, you know, you really, if we didn't, weren't able to maintain the cash flow that we were as these, these programs dropped off and then the new ones came on, I don't know what we would have done. Um, so I think that, I think coupled with the, the rules and the regulations that the state was uh, the mandating and things like that, coupled with the start stop nature and the, and the lack of coordination between the federal and the state government, um, I think it really presented a, a lot of challenges and you know, I, I, I tell Matt all the time, I haven't slept since March of last year, just trying to navigate this uh, day in and day out.
0: So I guess kind of the most important thing at, at, at this point is, you know, we've got vaccines on the way. We've got pent-up consumer demand. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, in Western PA, you know, more favorable weather patterns and season hopefully coming soon. Hopefully, all of seem would be tailwinds to your business. Yeah. What do you see going forward in the short and in the long term? And I and and when I say long term, I'm talking about you know major major kind of structural changes in how restaurants operate yeah. and or how people dine or drink out.
1: Yeah. So I think there's there's a lot of lessons to be learned here with what happened over the past year. I think one of the biggest problems that we are experiencing right now is the fact that you know, you're know, you limited to the amount of people in your area. Mm-hmm. Well, when the government is coming down and preaching to anybody saying, don't do this, no, go do this, you should be doing this. Our problem right now, and, and I see this as a trickling effect, is the people that don't want to go out are not going to go out, no matter if we're open or not, or if we have the best food. They'll do takeout, which is fine. Right. But that's a totally different dynamic. Um, it's more labor intensive for us. Really, the biggest bang for our buck internally, and which is why our model is the way it is. is It's all dine-in and consume on-site. Um, if we wouldn't, if we wanted to get the beer out to the masses, we would have went down the distributor route, but. That's not the route we wanted to go. Uh, We wanted to be your local hangout place and and, and really drive a community. Um, I think our issues that are going to continue to plague us are going to be those. We're always going to have our regulars. We have a fantastic base. We really do. But those other, you know, even say it's 75-25, it probably is in our area. But if you go into Allegheny County, it might be flipped the other way. It might be 25% don't care and 75% aren't moving. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to see that trickle down effect just continue to plague us for months yeah. or the next year. You know, even yeah. if we do open up to 100%, nobody's going to want to sit next to somebody
0: at that yeah. point. Yeah, it's a very good point. It, Let's just let me ask it this way. Mm-hmm. So, if I put your original business plan next to what your business plan is right
2: now. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the major differences well i wouldn't i wouldn't have done it if our business plan looked like this
3: (laughs)
1: yeah Yeah. no there's no amount of dreaming and pulling that i could have pulled him along with me love
2: matt i love matt but i'm not i'm not falling for this one (laughs) yeah um so our business plan really we wanted
1: to be in a position right now to be opening up another location and you know it put us behind by a whole year and so And we don't at least. I mean, we don't know what we're going to do a year from now at this point because we don't know what is happening.
2: Uh, We're in survival mode, right? I mean, every every day, every week's a survival. You know, I think the biggest concern I have is, you know, we go back to full capacity, uh, which I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon, uh, given given some of the rules here in the state. But uh, we go back to full capacity. I'm concerned we're going to be able to get enough of the workforce back because of the reason you mentioned Um, These people had to go find another way to make a living and put food on the table. Yeah,
1: that was what crushed us uh, from the beginning of this is is we know how to run our business and we were doing really well at doing it. And we were one of the uh, one of the restaurants that were actually doing a little bit more and above for their employees. Um, And to take that away from us was what really angered the two of us. Um, and yeah. saying, hey, we, we don't have any control over this. Well, who the hell are you to tell us how to do this? Yeah, that yeah. was our yeah. that was our our, our big mantra. Yeah. It was
2: like, and, and look, look, when it when it all happened. Right. I get it. You, you need you need a little bit of time to assess and you need a little bit of time to figure this one out. You know, two weeks to flatten the curve. Right. Uh, that two weeks is now a 52 week flattening of the curve, and you know it was. Let's follow science and data until it doesn't work, and then we'll we'll follow what what we what we think is is the best solution as far as we know. We don't, you know, no, we have no insight as to how these decisions are made, and and you know it, it, the hardest part is you know what you want to let us run our business, and we're on the hook in a normal situation but then turn around and, and make the decisions for us and for the people. Um, you know, that, that, that's an unsustainable situation. And, and frankly, it's uh, it's disgusting to me that, that that's how it played out. Uh, not discounting, you know, I'm not trying to discount the situation in the pandemic and, and, You know the needs that we had to think differently but come on this is not no way to run a business especially and treat a business especially you know in in the world we live in and
1: and there it was so it was so i would say unfair where where this industry was pigeonholed yes i absolutely agree there is establishments out there Trust me, you with the with the situation. Yes, you don't want dance parties. You don't want this. You don't want that. We made our restaurant as safe as possible. It's safer than Walmart, for God's sake, and they never had to shut down. You yeah. know, so those are the double standard things that him and I yeah. go nuts about. It's it, and COVID only yeah.
0: comes out at ten o'clock at
1: night. Well, exactly, and it, <laughs> and, and, and it shuts yeah. down. You know, it's yeah. gone yeah. at two o'clock in the morning. You know, right. so it's. Right. Yeah, and it, o- it only
2: happens if you're sitting at a bar with a beer in front of you too right but if you put um, a table up
1: next to the bar it doesn't happen yeah. you know so like come on really well and the, and the
2: pa strain is much much worse than the ohio strain and the west virginia strain, <laughs> and, the <Florida> strain. <laughs> and the florida strain and the florida strain is 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 totally different right
0: well suffice it to say yeah. you guys are in an industry that's going to be change the face of which is going to change forever yeah but From a positive perspective, people are always going to want a good beer. Before I let you guys go, I do want to give our listeners some idea of how they can get some of that beer.
1: Yeah, so the the location is uh, as you said earlier, it's Mars, Pennsylvania, 700 Adams Shops. Online, we're Denningkeg.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all over the place on there. You can go to our website to learn more about us or you can order food there everything curbside, can be done online. you do delivery or? we do we do not do delivery at okay. this point all curbside if if you want to have
0: have that time. And everything's available in cans now Everything's basically. available in cans,
1: growlers, you yep.
0: know Just had a nice conversation with Matt McCullough and Corey Gibbons talking about some of the issues around the alcohol distribution system, particularly in PA. And I know you're a beer guy, Chuck, even though you and I don't necessarily have the same taste in beer. One of the reasons I came here many years ago is uh, we were known for a long time as the bank with the president having a beer tap in his office.
3: That is very true, and that's still the way it is.
0: So in any event, I'm not not sure you're the, the greatest experts on the genres of craft beer that's out there, but you are a beer lover. So you know, one of the things I talked to uh, Corey and, and Matt about was, you know, they and a number of other venues in the state that provide beer wine and distilled spirits locally, we've obviously seen great demand for alcohol during this pandemic even leading up to now and you know we've seen some real winners in the beer distributor segment and even in the state store segment with regard to you know alcohol sales but it seems like those other venues that were kind of set up for the on-site brewing type operations were kind of left out in the cold by the state There just seems to be an unfairness there. What are your thoughts?
3: You can understand, especially at the beginning of COVID, where there was a concern about the spreading of the disease and that that would occur through uh, singing, groups coming together, the exchange of, you know, the virus going through the air and what have you. And so there was a big concern about restrictions. And so the bars, the restaurants, they start to put those restrictions on. Um, That shuts that supply down and shuts off that avenue of demand and and lets the demand go to the distributors versus the retailers which means the beer distributors and the state liquor stores and what have you there wasn't a fairness involved there because if you remember the state store system closed the beer distributors
0: surprising to me as an alcohol consumer
3: well that would be promoting doing it at home and not not in public but they shut it down now It would have been better because you know there's going to be alcohol consumed, so you want to do it in the safe way possible. And if you're really concerned about not having large groups, you you make it open so that you can take it home and consume it at home. The state shut down the liquor control stores. And yet the beer distributors, they left open. There is always a logic to what's going on. It might be a selfish logic. But in the truth of the matter is, in that environment, the union liquor stores didn't want their people exposed. So that's why it was shut down. On the other hand, the beer distributors were independent businesses. They're not the state where I get my pay or I get taken care of whether you shut down or not. They lose their business if they shut down. Well, they pushed hard to stay open, and they stayed open. Uh, there was no fairness of what's best for the population as a whole. There's all these selfish pulls and pushes. You know, I want to shut down for the better of the whole. The selfishness comes in when, well, I'll let this group do it. I won't let this group do it. It's all who pushes and pulls in and, and the most way possible. But you don't get fair decisions. And To me, that's where it's glaringly obvious in our state that fairness isn't what's mandating things it's private interest pushing and pulling in different directions and and so when you understand that's the way it is then all these things start to become logical because you understand the pressures in the background doesn't mean it's good leadership but it gives you the logic as to why things are done mm-hmm. a lot of people run around and say i don't understand this well it's it's pretty easy to understand when you dig behind the reasoning as to why the decisions are made they're not fair they may not be good leadership but there's a logic behind what's being done
0: yeah i look at it this way i mean you know you have one of the areas of consumer demand that stayed strong this whole time from last march till now you know is the demand for alcohol you have independent small businesses granted so are the beer distributors and they and they They were able to do very well. But you have this other genre like the Denny Kegs of the world that have the capacity to produce the alcohol that's in demand. They just don't have a distribution system or canning lines or bottling lines or whatever to get it out to the masses where that could have really helped them employment within those businesses, if they would have got some type of assistance to maybe pivot into that kind of production.
3: Here again, even the retailers, you see us experimenting with it for the last nine months. There's social distancing rules, there's the masks, there are the things that are done to protect us as a whole. Many of the retail establishments went a long ways towards doing those things. A bar with plexiglass separating sections HVAC systems that are pulling things up and out and not letting it circle around. I mean, the social distancing, the things that took place. Most state just said, no, no bar. You can sit in a restaurant and if you get food, you get to take off your mask and you get to consume alcohol. But if you go to the bar, you're not allowed to do this. Now, please explain to me how the disease proliferates because I'm sitting at the bar and drinking something when nobody's around me but at the table where i have three or four people around me and i'm close to somebody it doesn't proliferate the truth is there's pressures and there's selfishness and there's drives that create what appear to be illogical decisions but there's a reason in the background why things are done this way and it's not fair. There's clearly not fair. It's clearly poor leadership, but there's reasons why it all takes place.
0: And what you ended up with results were what I call the end-arounds. I could go to my local watering hole to have a beer, but I had to order a french fries or yeah. some nominal or crap. I've even seen exactly. places giving out
3: So instead of the four of you sitting at a, at a bar with plexiglass yeah. in between, each having your beer separated... You go to a table where there's no separations, but because you got French fries there, you could all drink together and be next to one another, and that's safe. But this one isn't, really. When you start, I, mean, I mean, it gets, it gets to be that's
0: what's frustrating a joke. These bar and restaurant owners. It's it's the classic kind of double standard that's kind of dominated a lot of leadership's response to COVID. I mean, you know, we're we're dealing right now and and I've been reading this week about double standards I consider to be double standards in how vaccines are being distributed.
3: We have enough science to understand to a large extent who the high risk people are. We have a history of who this disease has seriously hurt and what people it does not. Clearly aged people and people with certain high risks are the ones who really are exposed. The vast majority of the people who experience COVID have a headache and some minor issues, but there are a few that are high risk that it's extremely life-threatening and, and has taken many, many lives. We know what that is to a large extent. So when we give out vaccines, common sense would tell you, just like in any medical situation where there's triage, the most serious at risk get treated first, And then it goes down the line. In our state, the CDC puts out a protocol. In theory, we follow it. And one of those, for the most part, it's aged people that are high risk. But then you could be in Pennsylvania and say, okay, me as a teacher, I ain't going back to work. If I don't get my vaccination, I'm going to use my influence with my union to say, teachers get vaccinated now ahead of other people. Is that fair? Is that not fair? That's the real world and leadership is now giving into that kind of a pressure what you have now is the people who are 75 and older there will be some of those people who are not vaccinated but when the johnson johnson product comes out in a week or 2 you'll have 25 year old teachers getting shots and that's okay according to our state uh i don't know where you come from but that's that's not that's not fair and the shameful thing of all of this is We're not teaching our children right and wrong. We're teaching them to be selfish. Whoever
0: screams the loudest. Yes.
3: I mean, can you imagine? I I understand how important teachers are. And certainly if it's a high-risk teacher, he or she needs to be vaccinated before they go back to work. But does the 25-year-old need to be vaccinated before the 90-year-old woman? no and to say you as a teacher are more important than other people welcome welcome to the real world if the financial institutions all shut down and your credit card your wallet nothing works you want to know who's essential now you never hear that about bankers and stuff but the truth is there are many essential workers here that have the same argument to be made as a teacher does they're all valid but we pick and triage Who's really going to high probability of being affected and we take care of them first and then we shift down the line. When the vast, vast majority of people are not going to be negatively affected by COVID, you, you zero in to be fair and to be really a good, fair leader. You zero in to take care of those people that are high risk, not the people that, that push back and say, I won't do my job if you don't vaccinate me. I mean and and these are the people that are teaching our children right and wrong. I, I cannot condone that kind of action or that kind of an example as being the right thing. Now that's not to say I don't have empathy for teachers. I don't well the
0: rebuttal I've heard on that recently is well we're not gonna be taking away any vaccines from high risk or elderly because Johnson & Johnson's now coming on board with their third available vaccine and we're going to give that to the teachers.
3: That's the kind of thing when I hear that really makes me get angry because I think to myself, do you really think we're all this stupid that we buy into that? The logic here is you take care of the high risk people first. What that means is the Johnson shot would There's accelerate yeah. taking care of those people that now won't be at risk for another month or six weeks if that vaccine wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Instead, you apply this logic that says, hey, we're going out way slow. We're completely disorganized. We're going to take five months to get you your shot. And now we have a new vaccine that's coming out that could make it be three months. Oh, no, we'll still give you uh, a 90-year-olds five months to get it because our teachers need it and we're not really taking anything away from you that's insulting (laughs) it's just insulting and that's what our leadership is honestly i'm surprised they're not embarrassed to say something like that and anybody that believes that well then they got some education and some common sense to get a hold of you know i was taking my mother a few weeks ago to get her shot and uh, I guess I'm looking older than I, f- I feel, but they asked me uh, when I was helping her get through the lines, did I want a shot? And I said, yes, I'd love to have a shot, but I'm 63, so I'll wait my turn. Person behind me in line got asked the same question, and that man had to be 50 years old. Yes, I'll take the shot right away, and up up his sleeve went. Now, he was bringing his parents in, too, that were 80s or so. I understand the relief you get from having that, but is that really the example you want to set for people?
0: Thank you very much for your interest in today's episode of Inside the Vault. Please be sure to follow us on all of your streaming, social media, and podcast platforms. And if you have any specific questions or topics you would like us to cover, please feel free to email us at insidethevault@enterprisebankpgh.com.